Good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be able to come and sing praises to God. And I pray the same prayer as Seth, that what I have to say this morning will be according to God's word and that will glorify him. This morning, I want to start a series. I've kind of jumped on that, the bandwagon of kind of several other people speaking this about books of the Bible. And I want to start looking at Colossians this morning. And I've entitled the lesson this morning, Walking Worthy of the Lord. We're going to take our context from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Before we go too far into it, I just want to give a little overview of kind of what's happening. Um, The book of Colossians was written by Paul. Now, Paul was in prison at this time. Some people say he was probably imprisoned at Rome, possibly at Ephesus. But the most important thing we need to understand is that Paul was imprisoned for his willingness to preach the word of God. And that's, that's, I think, the most important thing that we need to understand about that, that he was willing to do what it took to preach the word of God and to spread the gospel. It was addressed to the church at Colossae, and many believe that from the language that you see from the beginning of, of this book, that he may have never even visited this church. Uh, so, but what we do know is that there was a man by the name of Epaphras, and Epaphras was a man that loved this church. And we see in Colossians chapter one and verse seven, he is mentioned here. It says, as also ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras was a man who loved this church and he wanted what was best for that church. And as you'll see in Colossians chapter four, he actually went and visited Paul on behalf of this church. In verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in, the, in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. Epaphras loved this church. And again, he wanted what was best. And what we see is that the reason Paul has written this is because Epaphras has come and he's talked to them, he's talked to Paul about this church and let him know about kind of what's going on. And kind of what we get from, as we go through this this book, what you're gonna see is that this church was doing some things well, that there were some positive things going on with this church. And what a wonderful blessing that is. But what we'll also see is that society kind of pressured them, that they lived or they were worshiping in a society that surrounded them that put some pressures on the church. And I believe this is exactly why Paul is writing this letter, to not only encourage them and show his thanks for their willingness to serve God, but also to warn them and and help them understand the pressures that could potentially leak into the church. But not only that, I think he wants to challenge them to a greater devotion in Jesus Christ. And overall, I think that's kind of what we're looking at when we look at the book of Colossians. Now, when we begin this chapter or this book in verse three, we see that Paul gives kind of a prayer of thanksgiving. And in verse three of Colossians chapter one, he says, we give thanks to God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we see Paul opens up with this prayer of thankfulness. As we can see, 
the church here at Colossae was doing some things right. In fact, he mentions a faith in Christ Jesus. He mentions a love for the saints. And as we'll see as we go on, also a true love for God and also a hope in heaven. And when I think of those three virtues, I think of those three things of faith, hope, and love, I can't help but think of when Paul was talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, where I think that this church, at the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church had a little bit of an issue maybe with love. They all wanted those spiritual gifts, but love was kind of left in the background, you know? And we see at the end of this chapter, as Paul is talking about how important love is and what it does for the church and what it does for the individual, he says, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity or love. These, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I believe that Paul understood that this church at Colossae had a good foundation he didn't have to necessarily write to them and say, faith, hope, and love are important. What he's saying is you already have this. You already have this foundation. And that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And it's the thing that you need to build on. Because again, this church had a faith in Christ Jesus. And we see as Paul defines faith in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So according to Paul's definition, this church had a faith that was stronger than just saying, I believe in God. They had a faith that had substance. They believed in the evidence that surrounded them that there was a God, even though they hadn't seen him with their own eyes. They trusted in God and they had a faith in God. And that's a good start. That's a good foundation not only that, they had a hope of heaven. They could see past this world to something far better that awaited them. And they saw a hope that drove them. But not only that, they had a love for the saints and I believe a love for God. This was a church that was doing some things well. And again, Paul thanks God because of this. He thanks God because they do have that solid foundation, because they are doing some things well. And we think about the hope that these people had. If you read in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. If it is true, Paul had never been there. He had heard that this church was doing some things that were great. And what he could see is that they had a faith and a hope and a love that was based on Jesus Christ. That's what drove them. That's what pushed them toward Jesus Christ and towards God. And Paul could see it in their actions and the way they lived. But here's what I want us to understand here. It says in verse six, which is to come unto you as it is in the world and bringeth forth fruit. These people had a faith that changed the way they lived, that helped them to bear fruit. And you know where they got this from? It says, from the word of the truth of the gospel. Do you know where their faith came from? From the understanding of the gospel. 
from an understanding of the good news, from an understanding that Jesus Christ died and sacrificed himself, was buried and was resurrected. And through that, it helped build their faith. It helped build their faith and become a stronger church. And Paul was thankful for that. You know, this faith that was produced was produced on a solid foundation. A solid foundation, the understanding that they had a God that loved them enough to send his only son to die on the cross. You look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, he says, looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what the Colossians understood, that Jesus Christ died for them. And that's where our faith must begin. That's where our faith must grow stronger every day is in that same understanding. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul talks about this faith. Paul talks about this idea, which he referenced earlier, this idea that they bear fruit, that they change who they are. And he says the same thing to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So this idea that when you are in Christ, you are changed, you are different. And I believe that this is exactly what he saw with this church, with the Colossians, is that they had a faith that changed the way they lived, that they had a faith that caused them to seek to serve God. And again, that whole faith comes back to that idea of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross for them and made that sacrifice for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, and I know I'm referring back to Corinthians, but I think we see Paul's thinking here. I think we understand his thinking because the Corinthians may not have had this same hope, the same love. Because what we see here, it says we see a people who I don't believe have put their full trust in Jesus Christ. I, I, see, I think we see a people in Corinth that trusted in, in men because some people were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. But I want you to see Paul's reaction here. First Corinthians three and verse five, he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. You see what Paul understands that the issue is in Corinth? that they're not putting their full trust in God. But I don't necessarily see that with the Colossians. I believe Paul sees a people who understand why they are here, who understand their purpose and their reason for, for serving God. And that's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. And that's a theme we're gonna see, out through this, see throughout this book is this idea that points back to Jesus Christ as Paul continues to go through. But the main point that I want us to understand here is that these people 
had a solid foundation. These people, while they surely had some issues, Paul was able to be thankful for the positive things that were happening at this church. Now, even though he was thankful for that, we see Paul kind of change direction here when we start going into the next few verses. That while this church had a solid foundation, Paul understood that they were not immune to outside sinful influences. That they were not immune to the society around them possibly filtering in and pulling them away from God. And we see this beginning in Colossians chapter one in verse nine, because he starts making some requests of God. And in verse nine, he says, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So as we're looking at this verse nine, Paul again has made this change of, I'm thankful for these things, but I pray to God that he will help you with these things. So the first thing he mentions is this idea of having a knowledge. And he says that they would be filled with a knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, when we look at the word given here, when he talks about knowledge and all wisdom and understanding, when we look at that Greek word, the definition is epignosis. Now, the definition here is recognition or full discernment or acknowledgement. So essentially what this means is Paul is praying that they're going to have a deeper knowledge than just a surface level knowledge, than just a basic knowledge of Jesus Christ. The word epignosis is a lot stronger than the word gnosis, which means a basic knowledge. Paul is praying that they will have a deep knowledge in the word of God. And you think about that idea of having a, a strong and a deep thorough knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you understand that if you do have pressure surrounding you, if you do have false teachers, if you do have people trying to pull you away, if you have a deep knowledge, you're gonna be able to resist that a lot easier than you would than with just that basic knowledge. And I believe that's exactly why he's praying for this, for the Colossians, because he understands the threat that surrounds them. He understands the potential of somebody coming into the church and possibly trying to preach a doctrine that is not according to the word of God. You know, Paul talks about, similarly about this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three and verse one. And he says, this know also that in the last days, and I believe when he's talking about the last days, I believe he's talking about the time that Jesus was, uh, was ascended to the time that the earth ends. I believe that that's what he's talking about. So I believe when he talks about this, some of this is actually happening at the same time. He goes on to say, in the last days, perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of, them, of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So Paul goes in and he's telling Timothy and he goes through, he says, these people are gonna have these, this laundry list of sinful behavior. 
And then the next verse, he says, having a form of godliness, but, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness, having a basic understanding, a basic knowledge that's just dangerous enough to pull somebody away from God. And he goes on and he says, from such turn away. He says, separate yourselves from these type of people. Don't get involved. Because you think of what was happening in the society around the Colossians that we're going to talk more and more about as we go on through the study and through future studies. But for example, there's a group called the Gnostics who had a basic knowledge of God, but they also incorporated worldly things in their teachings. They also incorporated their desires and their wants and they mixed it all together. But yet they had just enough knowledge of God that if you only have a basic knowledge, there's a threat to you because you might be pulled away into a false doctrine. But not only is he talking about false teachers, he's talking about those who may be deceived by them. He says, for this is the sort for this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Paul saw the threat of the society around them that could potentially pull them away from Jesus Christ. And that's why he's praying for them to have a deeper knowledge. A knowledge where they can understand Jesus Christ, understand his word and be able to fight against that. Be able to keep that out of the church. Be able to keep that out of their lives. But you see, he doesn't stop there. In verse 10, he goes on and he talks about walking worthy of the Lord. In verse 10, he says that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So he's saying, he's praying not only are you going to have this deeper knowledge, but you'll actually apply it, that you will know the will of God and live it. So not just hear it, but do it. Make it your life, make it your dedication. And that's what he's praying for these people. And then he says, unto all pleasing. And I believe what he's saying here is that, that they would turn from trying to please themselves and focus on pleasing God and pleasing Jesus Christ by living for him and doing his will. Now, as he goes on in the same verse, he, start, he begins to tell them how they can walk worthy. And he says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So these are the first two steps that he talks about. So let's look at that first one, bearing fruit. He prays that they will be able to bear fruit. And I begin, I believe that if we are going to bear fruit, it begins with us. We talked about that faith in the word of God that's enough to change who we are. That we understand the importance of living holy. Changing the way we used to live and focusing on how God would have us to live. In John chapter 15 and verse four, Jesus uses an agricultural example, an agricultural example. And he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, 
the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Bearing fruit, I believe, starts with bearing fruit in ourselves and changing or letting the word of God change who we are. And that we bear fruit. God bears fruit. We give him the credit because he makes the change in who we are. The word of God changes how we live, how we act. But the fact is, is if we don't abide in Jesus Christ, if we are not in his word, if we're not willing to accept his word and put it into our lives and let it work through us, we'll never bear fruit, not in ourselves or in anyone else. But the fact is, is when we abide in Christ and we dedicate our lives to Christ, we will change. And we can have confidence in that. We can have confidence in the fact that God's word will change who we are. You know, I think of Philippians chapter one and verse 22, Paul is kind of struggling here. He's struggling with this idea of of staying here and living or dying and being with Christ. And that was a struggle for him. Why is that? Because he, as much as he wanted to go be with Christ, he understood that if he was alive and he was abiding in Christ, he was gonna bear fruit for Christ. He was gonna make a difference. And the fact is, I believe this is what Paul is telling them is that you can make a difference in Christ by living for him, by doing his will. And we can have confidence that God's word will change us and that if we're dedicated to it, we'll bear fruit in ourselves. Fruit will be produced in ourselves. But not only that, when we bear fruit, we, are also, we also become a positive influence to those around us. Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. You know what he's saying here? That if you focus on living for God and doing his will, you're gonna be a light shining in the darkness and you're gonna attract people. People are gonna wonder what's different. People are going to want to know more about you and about Jesus Christ. And it provides opportunities. And it provides those opportunities to win souls, to change the lives of others, to bring others to Christ and let the word of God produce fruit, not only in you, but in others also. Proverbs eleven thirty says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. The first way that Paul says is to walk worthy is to bear fruit, not only in yourselves, but let your, let your example also help bear fruit in others. And we do that by obeying God's word and living for him. The second thing he says is increasing in the knowledge of God. And Paul has just talked about that they would have a knowledge, a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as we talked earlier, we understand the importance of that. But I believe what Paul is saying here is that this is not something that we ever stop doing that it's something that becomes a part of our life, that every day we're seeking to learn more about Jesus Christ. I don't know if this was a nod to the Gnostics, again, who thought that they knew everything, who, had, who thought that they had a higher knowledge than what they actually thought. But again, that was a pressure for this church at the time. 
But in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 12, or verse 2, we see Paul's thinking on this same idea. He says, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. If we ever get to a point that we think we know enough, we stop growing and we start going backward. Paul's hope for these people is that not only will they bear fruit, but they will also continue to seek out knowledge, to seek to learn more about Jesus Christ. Because again, a strong church, a strong Christian comes from being in the word of God and understanding the word of God and applying it. And it's something that he understands that they need to continue to do from this point forward, that this should be a, an idea that becomes a lifelong journey for each of these people at this church. As we say in education, a lifelong learner. He wants them to be lifelong learners. The third thing he talks about is that they would be strengthened with all might. And we see that in Colossians chapter one and verse 11. He says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. What he's saying here is not only are you gonna bear fruit, not only do you need to continue to increase in knowledge, but find your strength in God. Find your strength through Jesus Christ. And I think of Isaiah 41 and verse 10, speaking to the children of Israel, he says, fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. It's always been true that we need to search out our strength through Jesus Christ and through God. That's where we need to find our strength. Not in some self-help book, not from our friends who we think they know a lot about life. We need to be searching out our strength through Jesus Christ. But he goes on and he says, strengthened with all might according to the glorious power and to all patience and long suffering. So he talks about being patient and being long suffering. And the, the Greek words, the definition for here kind of show us what he's talking about. When he says, when he talks about patient, the Greek word uh, definition is ability to endure and remain faithful under every assault. The, the definition for long-suffering is the ability to keep a forgiving, helpful attitude toward people and avoid hastily retaliating a word. So what he's saying is, search your strength out from God during those tough times. Be able to look to God and not walk away from him when times get hard or even when times get good. And I think that goes back to what he talks about in Philippians. Because he goes on and he says, with joyfulness. Uh, Trevor did a whole study on Philippians that looked at how we can find joy in Jesus Christ, no matter what situation we face. And I think this is calling back to that same idea. That idea that you can find strength no matter what you're facing if you put your complete trust in God. So first of all, we need to trust in God and his promises. Second of all, we need to do his will. Third of all, we need to pray and give him total trust. And finally, let him work in our lives. Let him bring the results. Find our strength through him. And then finally, he talks about giving thanks to God 
in the next two verses. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, giving thanks unto, unto the Father, which hath made us to be meet, made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. When he talks up here and he says, which hath made, which hath made us meet, what he's saying there is that made you fit, made you adequate, made you sufficient for salvation. You know how he did that? Through Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is give thanks to God because he's made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's given us an opportunity to be forgiven of our sins. Thank him every day for that. Be thankful for that. Understanding that without him, you have no hope. Understanding that without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. But with Jesus Christ, we have all the hope we need. And that's something to be thankful for. And that's something that we should contemplate every day of our lives. He also says that who delivered us, who delivered out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So he's saying, be thankful that he pulled you out of the power of darkness or the world and is able to add you to the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. In other words, you've become part of the church. In other words, you've become, you are able to become part of the body of Jesus Christ. Be thankful for that. And that's how you walk worthy. You bear fruit. You increase your knowledge. You look to him for strength and you give thanks for all that he's done. And that's his admonition for them beginning this book beginning this first part of this letter that he's written to this church. You know, Colossians is a great book. And as I said, it's constantly pointing to Christ. Many of the things that we studied this morning could easily be applied to Amarillo Church of Christ. As we sit here this morning, I believe that we have a faith in God, that we put our faith in the word of God. I believe that we have a hope in heaven. We understand the promises of God and we understand the hope that is there for us. I believe that we have a love for each other. I believe that we have a love for our community that surrounds us. I believe that we have a true love for God. I believe we have a solid foundation here. I believe we do a lot of things right. But I also believe that if Paul was writing a letter to us this morning, it might sound very similar to this one because we're surrounded by a society who has a basic knowledge of God, just enough to be dangerous, that would do whatever it can to seep into our walls and pull us away from God. And I believe that's getting worse and worse every day. And I think if Paul was writing a letter to us today, he would say, I pray that you'll have knowledge I pray that you'll walk worthy of the Lord. I pray that you'll bear fruit. I pray that you will continue to seek out knowledge. I pray that you'll look to him for strength when times do get tough. And finally, I pray that you will understand the blessings that come from God in Jesus Christ 
and be thankful for those things. What a wonderful start to a book where we see Christ and we see the love of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you can be added to the church. You can be removed from the power of darkness. You can be taken from the world and added to the church, added to the body of Jesus Christ this morning. Or maybe you're here and you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe something is is happening. Maybe you're struggling with sin or just things are not going the way you want them to go. We can pray for you. We can pray with you if you come to the front as we stand and sing.